this week's guest is Alyssa Dunn. Born and raised in South Florida, Alyssa decided she wanted a change of careers and left the corporate world in her late 20s for a career in the hospitality industry. Alyssa would leave Florida during the summer months and go live and work in various locations across the U.S. It's a pretty interesting approach that has really served Alyssa well. Now living and working in Phoenix, Arizona, Alyssa has also started a side hustle by launching her own pop-up business based on zero waste and sustainability, which you can check out on Instagram. That name of her business is at Bolt Concepts. Enjoy this week's show. Okay, back with another episode of the Industry Podcast. My name's Kip Saunders. I'm the host. Dan Soretta is the engineer and producer. How's it going, Dan? Uh, things are going well, uh, as always, on my end. No real complaints at all. Oh. What about you? How are things going with you? Uh, we actually got some good news from my bar this week, as the Kitchener Business Association is outfitting us with a full patio for whenever we're allowed to do that, because we didn't have uh, any outdoor seating at my bar, so that's exciting. Ooh. So big shout out to uh, Linda and Lori from the Kitchener BIA, because... Uh, they're paying for everything and setting it all up, and they kind of did it when just informed me it was happening, which is amazing. So, oh, that's good. Yeah, it's it's great when you actually actually have people during this time period where it's so bad for the service industry, you actually get some help from your local institutions. Yes. So I, I did want to mention that. We have a great guest, as always, on the Industry Podcast. Telling her story today will be Alyssa Dunn. We'll be going to be bringing her in in, a mo- in just a moment. We should mention, as always, big shout-out to at Zach Hanna Design. Our buddy Zach Hanna does all the artwork. He's gone out on his own now, and he is looking for work. So hit him up, at Zach Hanna Design. Z-A-K-D-E-S-I-G-N. Uh, that's on Instagram. You can hit us up on Instagram if you want to be on the show as well. That's at the Industry Podcast. And uh, you should also subscribe, rate, and review the show. That helps us a great deal. Once more, again, a shout-out to Aaron Hatchell and his new gig, which is AKT Hospitality. Uh, they do cocktail classes, spirit and wine education, wedding and special event planning, and so much more. Mm-hmm. So hit him up. That's AKT Hospitality on Instagram as well, at AKT Hospitality. And as always, I will put all the links for everything we talk about in the show notes. If you're ever looking to catch up on anything we mentioned, just check it there. Okay, well, now that that's all out of the way, let's uh, bring in someone interesting to talk to. Alyssa <laughs> uh, Dunn, she goes by E. E, how's it going? Good. How are you guys? Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for doing it. Doing we're well, just, doing yeah, well. Yeah, we're doing as good as we can do. <laughs> That's a, it's, it's a, in this world, it's COVID good. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So Eve's joining us from Phoenix, Arizona, where it's, she's about to get scorched soon. But uh, how are things there now? Talk to us about what's going on in Phoenix with regards to COVID and how uh, the bar and restaurant scene is right now. Honestly, it's like COVID doesn't happen, is not happening right now. <laughs> Oh, wow. Which is which is good and bad. Um, But yeah, I mean, we are in full force, especially in places like Phoenix, where a bunch of people have moved recently. And so we are just gearing up for, you know, summer. Normally it it dies down because it is so hot and everyone goes up north. But they're saying it's it's not going to stop this summer. So we're looking forward to it. Oh, nice. So like everything's open. Everything is open. There's. Most restaurants at this point don't uh, master optional for guests, and then it's slowly becoming optional for employees. Um, so we'll see. You know, the more people get vaccinated, the more hopefully we can open up. So are you yeah, fully? I mean, you personally are fully vaccinated. My, I have my first one. My second one, I'm getting on June first, and I am okay. so excited to be able to just take the mask off when I can. Yeah. Yeah, well, it sounds like it's happening actually faster in the U.S. than it is in Canada now, which is fucking ironic. Yeah, oh, yeah, we're way behind. Like, so where we are now, they're like... Like I, I've gotten my first vaccine, but we ha- I haven't gotten the second one. Dan, yeah, got I'm on one. a couple of waiting lists. That's about it. Yeah. So we're along. And, and I know the CDC outlined the other day for you guys that once everyone once you've had both shots and you can toss your masks and go back to normal. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still going to wear my mask when I go to like the grocery store and do my errands. I feel like, you know, be respectful of other people. Sure. But um, we, I mean, when with regards to the restaurant, it's just, you know, at this point, when you have to wear a mask just to walk in or just to get up to go to the bathroom, it's like, is there really a point? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Like, you know, it, like we're, you're kind of doing it for show more than anything else. And, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're we, uh, right now at our restaurant, it's uh, masks are optional for guests and but employees still will wear masks. Oh, nice. And what what's the place that you're working at right now? 
So I work at a restaurant called Cell, S-E-L, which is French for salt. It is a small fine dining restaurant in the heart of Old Town Scottsdale. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, and you've just been working there recently. You said you only moved there in October. Yeah, I just moved to Phoenix in October. I'm originally from Florida, South Florida. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm super excited about this job. Uh, I came in. They didn't have a good, you know, a real good, strong cocktail program. And mm. we're just working to build it up and hopefully make it one of the best in Scottsdale. Yeah. And what's the cocktail scene like in general in Arizona? I know I don't know the proximity of Scottsdale and like Phoenix or whatever. I think they're pretty close. But the like is does Phoenix have like a burgeoning cocktail scene? Does Scottsdale do either of them? Does Arizona at all? Yeah, Arizona has an excellent, excellent cocktail program, really up and coming. I would say Phoenix, more than anything right now, is booming. Scottsdale's a little bit behind Phoenix. It's, you know, a little bit more of like the martini crowd right. in Scottsdale. So we're trying to trying to build that up and, and you know, bring us up to date and keep up with the downtown kind of crowd. Right. Uh, and I don't want to... Be, make this sound insulting at all to Arizona in general, but uh, are you uh, serving like a highly senior guest quotient or like, I just know a lot of old people moved to Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it is a, like a little bit of a retirement yeah. um, golfing state, but honestly, it's a lot of young people here. A lot oh, of professional business, a lot of, up, I mean, it's Phoenix is blowing up right now. It's one of the fastest growing cities in the country right now. And it is, I, I'm, ex, I'm excited to be here. And very multicultural blowing up that way yes, is what I absolutely. understand. Yeah. You grew up in Florida. Uh, was that where you got your first serving job? It is. So I actually, um, I did not work in a restaurant until much later in life. I left my corporate job and decided I, I don't know what I want to do. Working in a restaurant looks really fun. I've always wanted to go try it. And so I was like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to go and do it and see what happens. And how old were you and around this time? I was... I was about 27 when I left my corporate job, but I was 29 when I started bartending mm. and I just fell in love with it and I haven't stopped since. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that's definitely older. I mean, it's certainly not old, but it's definitely old to get into the in, service. Yeah. Industry. In our yeah. industry, it's, yeah. it's a little bit on the senior side. To, yeah. to jump in there. <laughs> hey, what was your corporate job before? So I actually worked for a corporate construction company. I okay. managed, they have like you know, in, in our terms, it's a like a POS system to manage their oh, projects. Okay. And so I was the person who like managed the POS from like the corporate part and taught everyone how to use it. Oh, okay. But I was, I sat in front of a computer in a desk all day. It was more. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. So you're thinking, I just got to get up and do something a little bit more social, moving around a little bit more. And yeah, something and, more and, exciting. I was yeah. just, my whole life was just a blah. <laughs> it was just blocked. <laughs> okay, so you went. What was your first serving job then? So I this is how I got into craft cocktails. Actually, I was really, really lucky that I ended up scoring a job at one of the very first uh, like speakeasies when old fashions back in the day were just becoming a thing in South Florida, and I just got completely entranced by it. They were they were really awesome. Where they really invited all of the staff. It didn't really matter if you were a bartender to come to all of the bar trainings and all of the you know uh, when the reps come in and do all the presentations and stuff. They invited all of the employees. So I went to every single one of them, uh, learned everything I can. And I just, I just loved it. I fell in love with the social aspect of it, the energy, and then the fact that you can, you know, make these beautiful cocktails and people appreciate them. You're not just, you know, put doing vodka cranberry, get out of here, uh, just get drunk. You know, people, you're taking time and putting detail into all of these things and literally, you know, thinking about all of these aspects of something that people get to enjoy and to see that happiness on the other side of the bar when they taste your cocktail is just the best. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, that is a little bit unusual to get thrown sort of right into the craft cocktailing right away. Normally people but uh, have like sort of a development to get to that point. So what, did you have any level of intimidation when you first started, when you got kind of thrown into the mix there? Or were you just like, hey, I'm learning? Well, I, you know, I, I won't say that I got thrown right into it. When I started in the craft, 
my first job was in craft, but I was just a hostess at the time. Oh, okay. So when I started bartending, I started like many other people do. And that's lying about my experience and, (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, being going and working at a sports bar that they didn't really care about craft cocktails, but I needed the experience. Mm -hmm. So I worked in sports bar bars for about three years. And then after that, after I knew I was like set high volume, could do all of the stuff, I moved to craft cocktail and was like, okay, now it's time to take it seriously. Yeah. So that's a similar path that I took in in the way that you kind of like, this was all happening in Florida for you? Yes. Well, mostly. Yeah. So like where you kind of learn the the sort of the mechanics of the whole job and like how to get, how to organize your time, how to be efficient, how to be quick. Um, And then you start after a while that becomes a little boring because it's all kind of second nature, right? Like you're just like, okay, I can open 15 cans of Coors Light this quickly (laughs) and (laughs) make a million drinks where the recipe is right in the title. But after a while you kind of like, you're just like, okay, this is as good as I'm going to get at this. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's it's always like you always need that like step up. How am I going to step it up? How am I going to move forward? And mm-hmm. after a while, that just got boring. And I was like, okay, now it's time. It's time to go do craft. Real right. craft. So, so you went and did you seek out a kind of craft uh, cocktail bar in that area? Or like, how did you go about making that next move? I did. So I went basically in, in the area that I was in South Florida... <laughs> There are only two craft cocktail bars, like real craft cocktail bars that you can work at. And so I went to both of them and basically begged them to give me a job. Unfortunately, neither of them at that time gave me a job. So I went and worked at, you know, one of the restaurants that was like kind of trying to do craft and and worked my way up from that. And then I I actually ended up going back to one of those two bars that I originally wouldn't hire me and they hired me right on the spot. So <laughs> that's great. So in the rest in this restaurant in the interim, were you sort of trying to develop a craft program there on your own or I, I I came in with a manager that was already developing a cocktail program. Um, unfortunately, he was not he was not in the training wanting to like bring young people up. He kind of just wanted somebody who was already there. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, it, if I really have to be honest, the way that I learned how to do craft cocktails is by books. Right. Is absolutely. I had I have in my career I have not had anyone want to train me, unfortunately. It's funny you said that. We've had a few uh, people, obviously we've had a lot of episodes at this point, but we had a lot of people in the craft cocktail world who have had either of those experiences, either where they they found like a mentor or like a rabbi to help them like and train them up. And then those people are forever indebted to these people, always shouting them out on the show. And then you have some people like yourself as well, where they kind of had to self-teach. So, um, I, like I, from listening to people talk, I don't know which one's the better way to go about it. Cause everybody sort of ends up in the same place. But I, in my mind, it's a little easier if you've got someone to just show you the shit rather than having to learn it yourself. It, I do feel like it has taken me a little bit longer having to self-teach myself because you, you know, you're going to have holes in your education. You don't necessarily know what you're kind of just filtering through so much information. You're not really sure what you're supposed to be really grabbing onto sometimes, Mm -hmm. but I, 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 I wish I had had a mentor or I I still am looking for one. If anyone's out there, Um, (laughs) um, but yeah, you know, I, I wish that, the industry was a little more open to teaching the younger generations or the people that were hungry for it. But, you know, with the industry the way it is, especially right now with COVID, everyone has so much on their plate. Sometimes it's it's just not enough time and money in the day. Yeah. And sometimes there's like this territorial thing about it where people are like, oh, that person could one day take my position if I teach them too much or I'm going to hold on to this or this, or I don't want them to go somewhere else and use these things that I've taught them. But To me, that's always been ridiculous. Like we all borrow from each other anyway. And and eventually, like we actually have an issue right now, I find in my city where we don't have enough people like really good people to go around since so many people have left the industry after COVID. We were thinking about hiring someone and we're like, oh, like who's out there? And so now I think, well, what what I think is going to happen is people are going to go back to this. Okay, I guess we find some younger people who want to be trained up and learn. And that's going to be the future. I mean, I hope that is what happens. I think if anyone, anyone who's excited and willing to do this job, why not? Why, why would you prevent them from doing that? 
Yeah, it seems pretty fucking stupid, but I think it ha- I think it probably happens in every industry, to be honest with you. But it definitely, and certainly when I was coming up, people were less likely to help you out than they were to hold you down. So, but I, yeah. but I, but I'm old, so, so I think that was just the era. But it's weird that it was still happening with someone your age as well. Okay, so do you saying south of Florida? Where? What specific city were you in at this time? So I was in the West Palm Beach area. So oh, that that's sounds just- all right. Yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. It's it's just uh, so there's you know the very famous Palm Beach Island, which yeah. is just one tiny part. But yeah, the whole of Palm Beach is about for those who don't know, about two hours north of Miami. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it sounds like it's a big area, South Florida seems, but it's very it's surprisingly small, especially what? in the craft cocktail world. West Palm Beach Island is like where Jeff, that shitty at Jeffrey Epstein lived, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Trump, so, Trump lives there. Uh, Jeff yeah, Epstein, yeah. Yeah. So Epstein it's really just there. an island for rich um, assholes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, There's a reason that I never worked on the island. Let's. Just yeah. So did ever did any of that like sort of um, element trickle into where you were working? Like, did you have to? Did you have like sort of a wealthier asshole crowd that you had to deal with? At some of the restaurants I've worked at, yes. You're kind of always, you know. The industry, you know, people pop around and work mm. everywhere, uh, especially if you've been in the industry a couple of years, you're most likely going to work at more than one place. Right. So, yeah, I mean, you you get those people wherever mm. you go, unfortunately. <laughs> so you get to this craft cocktail bar. What was the name of the the bar that hired you? So the, the first one or yeah, the, first the very one. first one, the very first one that hired me was called Max's Harvest. It was like a, you know, farm to table restaurant that had a decent cocktail program. And yeah, I'm thankful every day for them that they gave me a chance when I had zero experience. Right. And so do you feel like there was someone there to teach you a little bit more? I know you're still learning mostly from books, but like this was an actual craft cocktail spot, right? And you're... You're this, learning on the job this was or a relative. Yeah, this was a relatively craft cocktail program. Unfortunately, uh, I so, so I get hired. I go there my first day. The manager, the bar manager is the one on shift training me. And a guest asked for a front 75, which I didn't know what was. I, mm. I didn't know how to make it. And he turns to me and he goes, okay, do you know how to make that? And I said, no. And he literally rolled his eyes, stomped away, stomped to the general manager, told him to fire me immediately. When the GM said, no, I'm not going to fire her, train her. He he pretty much refused. And and I went about my way and I just kept my head up high and read, got every cocktail book I could find. And the next thing I knew... He was gone, and I was the bar manager. Well, there you go. See, this is this is these are good stories. Yeah. But like, what? A, like, it's so crazy that that shit can still happen. Like, how many years ago was that? This was not that. I mean, uh, this was maybe five years ago. Yeah, so not that's not that, that, long, not that ago. long ago. Like that, that's that still ago. going on, and I'm sure it's still going on now in certain places. Like, how fucking ridiculous is that? Like, it's only going to aid him to train you up if he's going to be working with you, right? Like, you'd think, right? I mean, it's yeah, it was a little ridiculous. Now, I I remember. So the the way the restaurant was set out is you had the indoor bar and you had the outdoor bar. I always worked the outdoor bar. He always worked the indoor bar. And looking back now at, you know, you you look back through the years and you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe I used to. One thing that I used to do because nobody told me any different was I used to shake Manhattans. I'm sorry. Right. I have to admit it. I'm it's OK. Everyone. I, put, there, put there's so many. F- there's so many fucking people who used to shake Manhattans. Don't worry. Yeah. But, <laughs> But I remember looking back at that going, oh, my God, all he co- all he had to do was say one. Hey, that needs to be stirred. That's supposed to be stirred. Not yeah. it. that's all he had to do. So, like a couple of words to say to me. I, I and I would have changed that whole thing. Something mm-hmm. so principal. And he just didn't. And that made him look bad. Yeah. He's still running the show. Right. It's, it's his job to make sure that. that. The, yeah. Like that, especially when you're the manager, your whole job is to make sure that the standards are kept up throughout like everybody was working there, right? And exactly. and how does it assist aid him? Like if somebody gets a poorly made drink at their table or sees you shake their Manhattan and like gets a Manhattan, they're going to be like, fuck this place. They think they're a cocktail joint. You know what I mean? Like exactly. does, they're not coming back. How does that help him out? That's the part I never understand about this sort of jealousy or whatever you want to call it that happens in our industry. Like it, the, the better everyone is working around you, the better the place becomes, the more money everyone makes. Share the wealth, share, yeah. share the knowledge, share the wealth. 
Yeah, well, yeah, share the knowledge and then everyone shares the wealth, I think. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, when you get promoted, are you now, is this the first time that you're kind of responsible for making a cocktail menu or was it something that was already laid out? It was, no, it was my first, first for everything. First time doing inventory, first time doing orders, first time making menus and just, you know, making sure everything was the way it was. It was a really a, a crash course. Yeah. Uh, so how did you handle that? What, you obviously didn't get a lot of help. <laughs> in a, it's actually, I think this is going to be sort of a common theme in our conversation is nobody helped you. <laughs> but that's I wish it wasn't, unfortunately. Yeah, that's admirable that you figured it out all your, on your own. But uh, so how, like it's got to be a pretty overwhelming all at once. Like now you're doing the boring shit like inventory and the paperwork, but you also get the creative part of like making a cocktail menu. How did you go about crafting your first cocktail menu? What do you think is important? What are the important things that need to go into making a menu? I was really, I was really looking towards, you know, what, what really the number, I mean, that's the number one thing when it comes to a craft cocktail menu, I think is, uh, you know, uh, what are you trying? What's the message you're trying to get? And what do the guests want? And you have to meet in the middle kind of somewhere with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, what what season is it? You know, you're not going to do hot cocktails in South Florida in the middle of the summer. <laughs> yeah. You know, also thinking about, you know, what are the cocktails going to look like? It's not just how they taste. It's how the person interacts with that cocktail do they see it coming from across the room to their table and their eyes light up before it even gets to their table with that anticipation do you know is there a smell aspect to it is there some type of aroma that brings them somewhere you know whether it's you know herbs or essence whatever Mm -hmm. um all that is really important and you know just have to break all of that down into each cocktail and the message, like I said, the message you're trying to deliver. Right. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. It's just like, what what am I trying to get across to the guest? But I like that you also said that also it needs to meet in the middle with what is the guest looking for, which I think a lot of us forget because we're all like, well, I'll tell you what you're looking for. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I do think that there is some of like, we're going to teach you how to cocktail. Like, you mm. don't need to come in here with any ideas. We're yeah. going to tell you how how you're supposed to be. I think that there's certain aspects where that's good and certain environments where that Mm -hmm. is important. But at the same time, if you're, if, if you're working at a restaurant and they have a good craft cocktail program, but they're not necessarily a craft cocktail bar, their food comes first. You have to think about what the guests want. That guest is not necessarily coming there for craft cocktails. They're coming there for a great experience, a great food experience, and sometimes some restaurants, the craft cocktails come second. That's just mm-hmm. the way it is. Mm-hmm. And you have to be aware of your environment and, and your guests who are coming in and, and what really the expectation is of those guests and of that restaurant and what they're trying to deliver as a whole restaurant, not just your program. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I do feel like it's sometimes a struggle right between the two things that you're talking about. It's like, well, at one point I'm trying to educate my guests, but the other point I also need them to come. So that I got to be serving stuff that they actually want and trying yeah. to figure out what people want is the scourge of every industry. I, I, <laughs> I talk about it. Like I know what I'm talking about, but yeah. I swear sometimes I'm like, I really, you know, yeah. I, I had a cocktail on, on this past menu that uh, got picked up by imbibe magazine. And it was my favorite cocktail on the whole menu. It was an Aperol spritz uh, riff. I, uh, I thought this, this cocktail was going to be in, like insane. Everyone was going to love it. And it was the least sold cocktail. Yeah, I was just like, I don't get it. Oh, you know, I, I'll tell you I, how many times that happened to me back when I was still kind of crafting cocktails where I'm the one that I put the most thought and the most creativity <laughs> into. And I was like, holy shit, this is the best thing I've ever done. And like when two weeks it was off the fucking menu, because <laughs> <laughs> nobody wanted it. Like the, like the bartender nerds were into it. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's always how it is. Yeah. And then, of course, the one cocktail that I was like, I don't think people are going to like this. But I'm going to throw it on anyway. I, 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 I think it's good. But that one, of course, was like. Like the number one seller. I was like, I oh, can't I, figure it out. If, if you go back to like actually, well, people should go back to our archives anyway and listen to some of the mm-hmm. great episodes we've had. But the very first episode we have, we interviewed my original head bartender at my current bar. And uh, he was, we were talking about how 
he had made this beautiful list uh, menu. I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to call it list anymore. I got scolded on our last episode. (laughs) (laughs) On our most recent menu, or on our first menu, he made this beautiful menu, and he had just made... And then his girlfriend at the time, who was very young, was like, well, there's nothing here for girls to drink. They're all like very, which is, you know, that's misogynistic on its own. I know lots of girls who will drink like straight scotch. That's great. Like, you know, but they were they were all too boozy or whatever. And nothing was like citrusy or sweet enough. Right. So he made one specifically for her. And without that is still our best selling cocktail to this day. <laughs> and he hates it. Oh, do you want yeah. to say the name of the, the cocktail? Yeah, it's the Cute and Crushable. Uh, shout out to Dan Collins if you're listening. At Dan Collins. At Dan's Calling, sorry. Yeah. Says, uh, uh, you should check him out. But uh, yeah, so to this day, he still hates it, but it's still our top selling cocktail, which is crazy. Okay, so what point? at what point do you make a move to a different city? I know, let me just scroll through your list here. You go, for, you go to Dallas, Fort Myers, Santa Barbara. You're in Indiana at some point? Idaho. Idaho. See, I don't know my uh, <laughs> I don't know my postal abbreviation oh, to nice. American okay. states. <laughs> yes, so Let's talk about Dallas first. Is that where you went after Florida? That was where. So I I I worked basically in Florida. You can do one of two things: you can stay in Florida all year round and make no money during the summer, right. or you can go somewhere else for the summer mm-hmm. um, and come back for the winter. And that's you know I I started kind of just getting bored, and so I was like, I'm going to go do that and have some adventures. Mm-hmm. So I would go to Florida for the winter for six months, and then I would find some obscure place to go for the summer and oh, wow. vacation slash work and make. Yeah, money. good for you. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So let's talk about the first time you did that. Where did you go? I, so the first time I went, I went to Dallas for the first time and had a blast. Oh, I um, love Dallas. That's a fun city. Dallas is a it's lot very of fun. underrated. Yeah. It is very underrated. It is. Everyone's like, Oh, Austin, Austin, which yeah. I love. I love Austin, but Dallas, Dallas has a, a special place as well. Mm-hmm. So then I went, I went to Dallas. I go back to Florida. I went to Santa Barbara, California, which is gorgeous. Mm. Um, a little too expensive for my taste, but right. <laughs> went back to Florida and then I went to <laughs> Idaho, this little place called Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, which is right actually just four hours south of Canada. This beautiful small town on on a lake, this giant lake. I went and worked at a golf resort on top of this mountain for like the rich and famous. It was oh, great. Wow. I had no idea what I was getting into. I just was like, I'm going to go work in Idaho. That's fine. And then I get there and I was like, oh, my God, what did I what did I get in (laughs) for? So let's talk about if you don't mind, can I get granular with some of how you're doing this? Because like, I'm just interested, like, how do you pick a place to go to? How are you doing it? Are you like emailing places in advance with your resume and being like, look, obviously, you don't want to move there without a job. Like, like, tell me exactly how you're selecting cities to go to in during these times and, and how you're going about getting employment. So it's it's almost out of kind of chance. I kind of just throw things at the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> That's <honest>. awesome. <laughs> um, so Dallas, I ended up going to because I had a friend who lived there and said I could, she needed a roommate or I could live with her. So I was like, sweet, going to mm. Dallas. Uh, the next time when I went to California, kind of the same thing. I had a friend who was like, yeah, you can like sleep on my couch for six months if you want. Just pay me a little. And I was like, sweet, I'm going to Santa Barbara. And then Idaho, I found a company. I I was thinking, I was trying to think like big picture and like, okay, if I could keep with one company and move around, I won't have to deal with like so much of this, um, like finding a place to live and everything like that. So I reached out to this random golf resort. I actually wanted to go work in the Bahamas. For them, but sure, they didn't of course, of course you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Um, so I, I messaged them. Yeah, I just sent. I would just send emails to anyone. Basically, just attach my resume, and I would put like a little thing together of like pictures of all the cocktails I've done and mm-hmm. menus and stuff like that. And I would just say, "Hey, do you need a bartender for the season?" And some people would say yes, and some people would say no, and. This company just happened to say no to the Bahamas, but hey, we have this place in in Idaho. Do you want to go? And we'll pay for you to live there. Basically, we'll we'll set an apartment up, everything for you. And damn, yeah. And yeah. I was like, sure. Huh. So yeah, I mean, I think this would be interesting to some of our listeners, and and some of them not at all. But I yeah. think that, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like. 
maybe you could explain exactly how you would, what would be your advice for somebody else who wants to take this path? Because it sounds pretty awesome. Like you get to travel around, see different cities, places you never thought you'd visit that end up being awesome or not so much. Exactly. However, like, like what would be your advice to people to do to kind of follow your path? What would my best advice be? My best advice would be just think about cities you are even thinking about going, kind of do a little research about like what places you, if you were to go to that city, where would you want to work? And just start emailing, just Mm. throw it out there. All they're going to say is no. Just like I said, I was throwing, I was just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what stuck. And that was where I was going to go. Yeah. I wonder, like, I, this, this uh, doesn't really happen as much in Canada. Like, every now and then people will be, apart. yeah. Well, but sometimes people will go, like, oh, I want to go to Vancouver oh, yeah. from, like, Ontario. And we'll be, like, email people in Vancouver or whatever. But because the U.S. is more compressed, uh, does, do you feel like this happens a lot with, where people do what you did? Or do you feel like you're an outlier? I I don't know anyone else who does it as, I guess, obscure as I have done it. Mm. I do know people who do like, you know, they go to Florida in the winter and they go to like Boston or New York in the summer and they kind of just go back and forth that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't really know that many people who go to different places. They kind of have their routine of places they go. They pick two different spots that they know are going to be good and they're going to make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And then they just kind of go back and forth with those. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. Sorry. No, continue. I didn't mean to cut you. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, my goal was not necessarily to make more money. It just happened that that worked out the way that it did Mm -hmm. Um, because Florida is so seasonal. My goal was really to travel and just new experiences and keep the information in my brain kind of going. (laughs) Yeah. So you have to have kind of the mindset of like, I don't really, I don't so much care what the destination is, but I more care about what the experience is going to be. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, that's that's super cool. I'm impressed that you've done all this. So, uh, can you tell me, or maybe talk about? Maybe it's too difficult to pinpoint, but based on how you've sort of laid out your career this way, going to all these obscure things, are are there? Do you find like there's certain things you learn at different locations that you might not have learned if you had just stayed where you were? Absolutely. I mean. When I have to go into an interview, I always have to explain to people why I've only worked six months here, six months here, six months here. It's like, what, are you shit? Do you just keep getting fired? Yeah. <laughs> I just keep what? sleeping with people. It's <laughs> getting awkward. I have to leave. Um, no, but for me, it's it's a totally it's been a total benefit to me hmm. because I can only you know when you go to a new place, you learn how they do it. Cool. Now I go to a a different place and I learn how they do it as opposed to, you know, if I stay at one place for years and years and years, I only learn how one place necessarily works, how Mm -hmm. they do their paperwork, how they do their money, how they do their cocktail program. When I get to work at all these places now, I get a bigger picture of the industry and Mm -hmm. I get to I get to personally pinpoint what I like from this place, what I like from this place, what I don't like from this place. And I get a more well-rounded education. One of the things, not only was the traveling important to me, but it was important to me that I worked at different types of places. So I would go work at, like in, in California, I was working at three different places. I was working at a gay bar, an Irish, or I'm sorry, an English pub, and then like a high-end seafood restaurant. Um. Yeah. So in like in Florida, I would go work at like a super craft cocktail bar, And then like when I went to Idaho, I worked at a golf resort. When I worked in Dallas, I was working at like a smokehouse sports bar kind of thing. I I really, since I kind of figured out early on, like no one was going to teach me, I knew I needed a really well-rounded education because I didn't really know where I wanted my career to go. So I wanted to make sure I had everything, every tool in my pocket that I needed to have wherever I was going to go. Right. So it's kind of random in respect that you don't really care where you end up, but it's very targeted in the fact that like when you get there, you're like, okay, I'm not going to just do one thing or, or I'm like, I want to get as many different types of experiences as I can from different restaurants and bars, which I think is super smart. Like I kind of do it more as I'm trying to open bars. I always try and get like ideas from different spots, but I kind of do it now more as a customer than as, but, but what you get from actually working there is so much more valuable seeing how every different place goes about its business. Like I try and ask lots of questions, but it's not the same as actually working there. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that's like, I, I'm very impressed that you did that. You're not, you're not as random as you come across. <laughs> um, so that's super cool. So I, um, so you're picking up all this information from all these different spots and how then do you come back and sort of target it to the place that you're working at at the time? Like, what do you, like, how do you take all these different experiences and, and sort of narrow them down to like how you're going to go about your, your either creating a cocktail menu or managing a restaurant or dealing with guests, whatever. I just kind of see what works and, and I've seen, you know, what doesn't work and what I feel comfortable doing and what I know based off, you know, what my strong points are and what my weaknesses are. And and I kind of just go from there and mm-hmm. just what works for me and what I feel like works for whatever place I'm working at at the time. What's one of the things that you learned in one of these random spots that you felt was not being implemented um, as much as it should be in, in, a, in the industry in general? I would say organization mm. for sure. I am a little bit OCD in that. And, and I've seen, I've seen the difference in the restaurants that are really organized when it comes to their staff and maybe the schedule and like all of that stuff. I've seen the benefits of that. And then I've seen the not benefits of that because I feel like people just, like I said, there's not enough money and there's not never enough time in the day, but when you, people kind of always seem to put that on the back burner, especially when you're a smaller, you know, family owned more restaurant, the organization kind of always seems to get like put on the back burner and the training and that kind of stuff. But I've been at places where those are really implemented and those are important. And the difference is so huge. Mm -hmm. And I I think sometimes people don't see that. They just kind of, for some reason, it's always on the back burner for some reason. I also find like, and I'm guilty of this as well. Sometimes you think your place is very well organized and then it's not at all. Like, like something comes up that you're like, oh shit, like how do we lose track of this? And then you start digging deeper and you're like, what the fuck? We're not organized here at all. What's happening? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes I think people like in the beginning, you put these implementations and these like processes into place and somewhere along the line, they get lost. Mm -hmm. And then you like, something happens and you're like, oh shoot, I didn't keep up with that and we should have been doing that and now we're here because of that yeah and it's, sometimes it's hard there's so much to keep track of in the service industry that it's like some it's very easy for something to fall by the wayside absolutely like i said not enough time not enough money in the day no no and and like from the ownership side you can't really hire it like you can only hire so many people and only give out so many hours like it'd be great if i could pay, afford to pay someone just to do organization, whether it be inventory or scheduling or like just that and nothing else. But like small businesses don't have that kind of money. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, at, the, at this point, I would say any any person who's working as a manager, you are doing like three people's jobs yes. every day and yeah, getting and paid. Not enough. Not even a, not even a full salary, basically. No. The only way I've found that makes it work and it um, is that you can be a working manager. So you're also making tips at least, right? Yeah. And just have like a couple of working managers and then, yeah. you know, eat, splitting up the tasks. But then all those working managers have to all get along and you have to play the politics oh, of that. And so, yeah. You, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. I know that's a rabbit hole on its own. I've done, yeah, I've done it both ways, having just one person running everything and having multiple people. And I think that I've decided one person is still better. Like, yeah, they get stretched a little thin, and I'll just try and help out as much as I can. But having multiple people is a nightmare. Oh, I yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah. There's- one of the benefits that I love about my job currently is uh, it's a very small bar in the restaurant that we have. So I am the only bartender. So I'm the only person I have to keep track of at this point. So I'm the, I run the bar. I bartend every day. I do everything. It's, it is kind of nice. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, talk to me a little bit about the menu that you're putting forth now. I know, um, well, I want to, well, basically I want to talk about uh, your pop-up company as well, but let's talk a little bit about the restaurant you're working right now at and uh, how you're crafting your menu. So right now it's it's a fine dining restaurant. We do tasting menus. We have a small a la carte menu. So crafting this menu has been a little bit different because this is my first like really high end fine dining restaurant. So it's taking me a little bit of new places, which is so fun and so mm-hmm. nice. So but 
But into that and being that we are in Scottsdale and it's not downtown Phoenix where the craft cocktail scene is a little bit higher up, you have a little bit more of like the golf crowd, the martini crowd, the, you know, that kind of crowd. Mm. So I'm trying to meet both of those kind of in the middle somewhere and and elevating the craft cocktail, bringing in the craft cocktail knowledge that I have while still incorporating and keeping things somewhat comfortable for the crowd that we are trying to come in with our food menu. You know, it's funny. I'm glad you mentioned that because it's like we often think about like when you're educating people about craft cocktail and you, we often feel like we're educating like a younger generation, but there's also education of the older generation as well. Right. Where like people are used to just drinking. No, I drink Manhattans or I drink martinis or whatever it is. And you're like, well, maybe you would like to try this. So how, do you do it as a play on those sort of classic cocktails? Is that the easiest way to introduce them? I I do both, actually. Mm. I, so I actually prefer the older crowd as opposed mm. to the younger crowd because the younger crowd is very like, just put whatever you want in front of me. I'll drink it. <laughs> right, and it's, yeah. like, they're very easy to please. <laughs> you have mm. the older crowd who's very kind of stuck in their ways. Mm-hmm. And if you can convince them to, to kind of go outside the box and mm-hmm. then impress them, that's the win. That That's much harder. And Yeah, and that's that, a good win. Yeah. 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 So I, I do do that, actually. The, the, la, uh, the, the drink that I was talking about before, the number one seller on our last menu was a play on a dirty martini. Oh, okay. Because the minute I got there, all I was making was dirty, shaken dirty martini, shaken dirty martinis, which is fine. I love a, a dirty martini. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, okay, how do I get the the average person who's coming in? They're not looking at the craft cocktail menu. They're not even picking it up. They know what they want. They're coming in. They're getting a dirty martini. That's what they drink. Mm-hmm. They drink that before dinner, and then they go into wine. How do I get them to go, oh, wait, no, I don't want the same thing that I have every day. I want what she's making something different. Mm-hmm. So I made a, a dirty martini. Basically I, I oil, I fat washed um, a gin and vodka split base. And then I did fresh basil, which we grow on our patio, lemon, uh, lemon peel in with it and some cucumber bitters. And I pickled tomatoes instead of like olives for a dirty martini. And uh, I used the pickling juice basically that I pickled the tomatoes in as like the dirty juice. Oh wow! And it was everybody loved it. Everybody loved it, and I had—I mean, everybody who came in and drank a dirty martini. I one of the keys I think people forget uh, when making a menu is if you can get the servers to like your cocktails, mm. they will—they are the yeah. key. That's they the whole game. The key. <laughs> yeah. They are the key to selling the cocktails. Yeah. If you can get them to like your cocktail, that cocktail will sell. And if they don't, then forget it. And your cocktail's not going to sell. I mean, that's just the way yeah, it is. You it can is. only conv- you only have so many people at the bar. Remember, you have yeah. twice as many people on the floor. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's not you doing the selling. Remember, it's it's the servers doing the most mm-hmm. of the selling. So, I got them to love this cocktail, and that cocktail, everybody loves that cocktail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I I totally agree with you. That's uh, an underrated part of this. It's like, oh, you're like, oh, fuck, I made the cocktail. I explained it to the servers. Like, yeah, but unless they like it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're gonna try. It's the same thing with wine too. Like, I've done so many wine tastings with servers, and I'm just like, oh, like I'm like, this wine's fucking incredible, and they're just like, Meh. and it sits there, <laughs> it sits there on the shelf forever. Yeah, my <laughs> my current sommelier, he when he brings new wines in, he has all of us try them. And he will not put them on the list unless we like them too. That's smart. I should think about that. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Let's talk about your Papa project. Just tell us all about it. Oh, I am so excited. So um, I, uh, I don't know if you, I'm sure you guys know Kelsey Ramsey from uh, Trash Tiki very well as she is from Canada. Um, Well, I've been trying to get her on the show, but so far no answer. So (laughs) I I don't know her personally, but I was going to look for your help there for a second. (laughs) Um, I was, I was very inspired by her and by the trash tiki kind of mm-hmm. concept and, yeah, you know, super cool. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, America is not exactly on the uh, forefront of the uh, helping out with the climate change situation. <laughs> no, it's so, not your reputation. <laughs> not, not exactly. We're not known for it. Um, so I, I was kind of looking at the restaurant industry and like, look at, 
you know, thinking about how do we contribute to this problem and what can we do to change that? And, and, you know, how do we get that in the front of the conversation and, and not make it, I didn't want to, I didn't want something as extreme as trash tiki. I wanted something that was extremely approachable and, you know, super easy that any, anybody at any bar with very simple uh, work could, could recreate. So I came up with the idea to do a classic cocktail menu that is completely waste-free, basically. So every fruit, nothing goes in the trash. No oranges, no lemons, no limes. No piece of the fruit goes in the trash. And every ingredient is made with either throwaway ingredients or, like I said, nothing goes in the trash. Mm-hmm. And and just kind of base that off where no one can go, oh, that's kind of weird. I don't know if I want to taste that. I don't know if I want to work that hard. The really, really easy stuff. So the way that that works is all of the garnishes. So the, the cocktails will be a margarita, a French 75, an old-fashioned, a Manhattan. And I might throw like an espresso martini on there, um, even though that's a little bit more of a modern classic. The way that it works is all of the garnishes are basically made out of fruit leather. So you squeeze the juice, you get the the lime juice or the lemon juice, and then that the husk of the juice, you know, the peels get peeled and that'll get used in syrups to infuse syrups, add another layer of flavor And then the husks will get blended up with simple syrup thrown in the oven, dehydrated and made out of fruit leather. And then, and now you have a hundred percent edible garnishes. You know, nothing bothers me more than like all of the garnishes and the beautiful stuff that we have to do to make our drinks, you know, more of an experience. And then five minutes later, they're in the trash. Yeah. What's the point of that? Right. So if we can incorporate some way that all of the, garnishes are edible, at least we give diners an option Mm -hmm. to waste or not to waste whatever. And then, you know, using like flat champagne for the French 75 to make a champagne syrup using, you know, making your own vermouth from leftover wine. If I do the espresso martini, the coffee liqueur is made from uh, leftover coffee grounds so that like that doesn't go in the trash. And then I just like reinfuse that and concentrate it as much as I can. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Yeah. I'm excited about it. (laughs) (laughs) The, I I can't come to Phoenix for probably four years, but, (laughs) (laughs) but if I do, I'm definitely going to take it out. So what's your plan for it? First of all, just on the logistics of it, that it sounds like a lot of prep work, a lot of hours to, I know you're saying easy, but like it does sound like there's a lot of prep that goes into it. Like, how do you how do you end up pricing like the cocktails based on the amount of prep work that goes in? So I haven't really figured all that out yet. Mm. That's okay. <laughs> but, that's, uh, yeah. that's kind of but the last thing you figure out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but it's really not. It's not that much work. It's only like if you think about it, it's only like two more steps. So right. like, imagine. Okay, you're squeezing the juices. You're Imagine we're hand squeezing. You're hand squeezing the juices. You just peel all the peels. Use that when you're making the simple syrups, which you already have to make anyway. And the only other thing really doing is you're throwing the husks instead of the trash. You throw them in the blender. You throw some sugar in there, blend it up, spread it on a sheet, put it in a dehydrator and leave it overnight. Yeah, you're right. That's not that much work. I think I'm just lazy. (laughs) (laughs) It it is. Yes. Is it more work than what we're doing now? But just a little bit. When you describe it that way, it doesn't sound like that much more work. So and like, how are you planning on? So how do you get it across to the guests? Are you planning on popping up in different restaurants and bars? Or do you want to do sort of like a food truck idea with it? Like, what's your plan? So my plan is to do uh, local, start in Phoenix, hopefully, and do like local bars and just kind of do pop-ups within their bars, either on like, you know, the Mondays and Tuesdays and Sundays that are a little bit on the slower days to try to bring people in. So it works for them too. Um, And those happen to be also my days off. So (laughs) So that works for Um, you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So start doing it that way and then just kind of branch out and, you know, see where it goes. And, you know, maybe we go to different cities. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you come to Canada, we could use Maybe a little I come pop to up. Canada. To- <laughs> I, I would, I've only been to Canada once, and I would love, I would love to come again. Well, I think you have to come here wrapped in bubble wrap now, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're cool with that, <laughs> you can make uh, it work. Yeah. Well, it sounds super cool, and I, I think I'm really glad that people there are people like you out there who are kind of thinking about this now. Like, I, even here in Canada, where we're we're a fairly green country, in 
comparison to say you. <laughs> I think everybody's a green country. In the yeah, US. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we only look good really compared to the U.S., but yeah. <laughs> but, true, but, true. but better. Uh, like we don't have a lot of people doing that here. Like um, you mentioned um, the tiki pop up. Actually, my current bartender one oh, we mentioned him two days two weeks in a row yeah. i think i'm just doing ads now yeah. but uh shout out to matt Houston. he also <laughs> was trying to do this at a bar that he worked at previously and didn't get a lot of response for it so are you concerned at all especially considering where you are uh like that this is going to take some education for guests again like some extra education about why they should be supporting an initiative like this I I don't feel like it'll be too much just because, like I said, I didn't want to go. I wanted to make sure this was extremely approachable. Right. So, you know, drinks that everybody already knows, everybody already knows what they love. And there's no like, there's no odd ingredients. There's no second guessing. Am I going to like this? Mm-hmm. It's the same cocktail. We're still using juice. We're still using all the normal ingredients. It's just a different way of looking at them. It's just a no waste version of it. In the presentation, really, if anything, it's not, I'm not changing any recipes. I'm not really changing any ingredients. It's just different kind of presentation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I honestly, I think it's super cool that you're doing it. I'm glad that we have people like you in the, in the industry doing stuff like this. Also, I'm glad that we have people like you in the industry in general, because your whole story is exactly the type of person we need traveling around learning different things not just thinking you know everything from the jump like trying to learn trying to improve your education at all stops you're you're a cool person and i'm glad that you're i'm glad that you're in the service industry and i'm glad that you came thank you yeah and thanks very much for coming on and doing the show we really appreciate it thanks for having me i really appreciate it okay well we'll have all your info in the show notes for people to check you out is there something specific for the pop-up that do you have a handle or an instagram page for that at all or are you still sorting that out so I do. My, so my personal Instagram, if you want to follow me, is at the dot badass dot bartender. Um, and then for the pop up to keep up with, you know, everything up to date with that, we are at Bolt, B-O-L-T concepts. OK, well, check people it check it out. Whoever's listening, check it out. This is the kind of person we need in the industry. So thanks again. E. We really appreciate you coming You're on. You're welcome. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it.